0: What if Jesus had done it? What if he had made the call? What if he had done exactly what that song we just sang suggests? You ever thought about that before? You ever thought about the consequences for our lives if Jesus had called 10,000 angels? I want to thank Brother Ryan, my dear friend, for leading us in that song we just sang together. Over the past few years, that song has been a personal favorite of mine to sing. I really have come to appreciate that song over about the past 10 years because it is a song that causes me to think. It causes me to think deeply. It causes me to think critically. It causes me to appreciate the Lord's power that He had in the Garden of Gethsemane. Please take out your Bibles and go over to Matthew chapter 26. Go back to the verses that Brother Doug read for us this morning in our scripture reading. We are currently studying the last week of Christ in our Bible classes, and our Sunday and Wednesday classes. We're actually, at this point in our studies, on Thursday, on the events that took place on Thursday evening. Here in Matthew 26, as Brother Doug read for us in these verses, we see that on Thursday evening, after Jesus and his disciples ate the Passover meal, Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed intensely to his father. He prayed that his father removed the cup of suffering that he was about to drink from his life, but not according to his will, instead according to the father's will. Jesus asked his father to remove the suffering he was about to endure if it was the father's will. Jesus prayed that prayer on three separate occasions in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, when we move to verse 47 of this chapter, we see how the Father is going to respond to that prayer. The Father responds to the prayer request of Jesus with a no. No, he wasn't going to remove the cup of suffering and said Jesus was going to have to go to the cross. The cross was the only way that we were going to be redeemed. And so in Matthew 26 and verse 47, after Jesus prayed in the garden, it says while he was still speaking, Behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came came up accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs who came from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now he who was betraying him gave them a sign, saying, saying Whoever am I, Whomever I kiss, he is the one, you seize him. Immediately Judas went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, friend, do what you've come for. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those and the one of those. Here's a reference to the apostle Peter. We know this when we read the other gospel accounts. One of those who were with Jesus reached and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? I want to ask you this morning to pay close attention to verse number 53 in this section. You see verse 53? There are several interesting things I want us to really consider about verse number 53. First, I want you to notice how the song we just sang together, 10,000 angels, is actually based on what is said in this verse. It is actually based on something that Jesus said to the apostle Peter here in Matthew 26 and verse number 53. After the apostle Peter cut off a man's ear in an effort to defend Jesus. And by the way, I don't think Peter was trying to cut his ear off. I think Peter was trying to cut this man's head off. Nobody intentionally aims for somebody's ear. Peter's trying to kill this man. He's trying to cut off this man's head in an effort to defend Jesus. And as Peter does that, Jesus told him to put his sword away. Jesus told him to not defend him with the sword because he was in full control of the situation. He says that he was allowing all of this evil stuff to take place. He says that if he wanted to, he could have stopped his opponents right in their tracks by calling more than 12 legions of angels. Twelve legions of angels. That language, my dear friends, twelve legions of angels. It's very interesting language. It's very intriguing language. It's intriguing because it reveals to us that the song we just sang is not 100% accurate. It's not 100% on point. In fact, what that song actually does is it shortchanges the number of angels that Jesus could have called. It actually understates tremendously what Jesus could have done in the garden. You see, we got to understand that a first century Roman legion consisted of 6,000 soldiers, a first century Roman legion consisted. Of 6,000 soldiers, for all you math folks out there, that means that 12 legions of of Roman soldiers would have been equivalent to what? 72,000 soldiers. Jesus says he could have called over 72,000 angels to come to his aid in the Garden of Gethsemane. Brothers and sisters, that's a lot of angels. That's a lot of firepower. In fact, just one angel would have been a lot of firepower. You know, there's one thing that the Bible teaches us about angels that's crystal clear. It is that angels are not to be messed with. Angels are not to be challenged. Angels are not weak and feeble spiritual beings. Instead, they are extremely powerful. They are very mighty. They are very strong. Now, they're not stronger than God, but they're way way more stronger than us. I'm reminded of what the Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 37. Remember Isaiah 37? Remember on the night before, the Assyrian army planned to go into the southern kingdom of Judah and take the people captive in the time of King Hezekiah. God saved Hezekiah's kingdom by sending an angel into the camp of the Assyrians, and that angel killed about 185,000 soldiers. One angel killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. One angel did that much damage. Now, think about this. If one angel could do that much damage, what do you think over 72,000 of them could do? Jesus says he could have called over 72,000 angels to come and stop what was going on. He says he could have called more than 72,000 angels to come and wipe out his enemies. That is how much he was in control of everything that was transpiring. Jesus could have called more than 12 legions of angels, and thankfully, he did not do that. But this morning, how about we use our imagination? How about we hypothetically go down this very grim and dark path? How about we consider the possibilities? How about we consider the grim realities for our lives today if Jesus had done what he could have done? I want to submit to you that if Jesus had done what he could have done, if he had called more than 12 legions of angels, our world today would be totally different. Our lives would be totally different. Our outlook on life would be totally different. You see, if Jesus had made the call, if he had called more than 12 legions of angels when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and one of the consequences of that is he would not have died. He would not have died on the cross. He would not have died at Calvary. You know, as we've been doing our Bible reading this year, our New Testament Bible reading, one of the things I hope you've noticed is throughout the four Gospels, throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one of the main things they emphasize is the death of Jesus, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, all four of them tell us, tell us the specific details regarding this horrific event. And all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the writers tell us about the foolish betrayal of Judas. And they tell us about the corrupt mock trials of Jesus by the Jewish leaders. And they tell us about how the Lord was beaten severely and how he was spit on, mocked and ridiculed. And they tell us about how he had a crown of thorns beaten into his head. And they tell us about how he had to bear his own cross to a place called Golgotha and how when he got to Golgotha, the place of the school, he was crucified between two thieves as though he was some terrible criminal, even though he had never committed one sin in his life, even though he had never done anything wrong in his life. The unjust crucifixion of Jesus its one of the main things that is emphasized in all four Gospels. And the reason why that is emphasized so much is because of its purpose. Its purpose. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 3, the Apostle Paul says, For I hand it down to you as of first importance. What I also received that Christ died for our sins. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 9, Paul says, Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we've been justified by the blood of Christ. We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 10, the Hebrews writer says, By this we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, Peter says to Christians, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood. Precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Notice how all throughout the New Testament, The gospel writers tell us that Jesus died for a purpose. Jesus died for a purpose. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus died to save us from the consequences of our sins. Jesus died to redeem us. Jesus died to to pay the penalty for our sins. He died to provide us with an avenue to receive the most important thing we need in our lives. And that is forgiveness. Jesus died so we can receive forgiveness from a holy God. But if he had made that call, if he had called more than 12 legions of angels, we would not be able to receive forgiveness today. We would not be able to receive sanctification we would not be able to receive justification and reconciliation we would not be able to be saved from the powerful wrath of God instead we would be on the receiving end of God's wrath instead we would be separated from God we would have no hope of being in fellowship with God and as a result of that that means that everything we've been doing this morning in our worship that would be pointless our singing would be pointless Our prayers, our giving, that's pointless. The preaching of the gospel that I've done today, that's pointless. Even us partaking of the Lord's Supper would be pointless. Someone says, well, Sean, why would partaking of the Lord's Supper be pointless? Well, remember again, the purpose of the Lord's Supper. Remember how the purpose of the Lord's Supper is to remember The death of Jesus. The purpose of the Lord's Supper is to remember what he did for us at Calvary. It is to remember his body that was beaten and his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. You see, this morning and every first day of the week as Christians, We partake of the elements of the Lord's Supper to remember what Jesus did for us at the cross. But if he had called more than 12 legions of angels, my dear friends, we would have nothing to remember. We would have nothing to commemorate. We would still be lost in the consequences of our sins. And we might as well have just stayed at home this morning. And not even showed up here. If Jesus had made the call. If he had called more than 12 legions of angels, he wouldn't have died on the cross. And not only would he not have died on the cross, if Jesus had made that call, he also wouldn't have been resurrected. He wouldn't have died at Calvary, and he also would not have been resurrected. You know, one of the things that I have said from this pulpit several times, and I'm going to say it again without apologizing for it, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It can never be overstated. The importance of that can never be overstated. The importance of that can never be preached on too much. The importance of that can never be mentioned too much from this pulpit or any pulpit. Why do I say that? Well, because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the key foundation stone to our faith. It is so important to our faith. It is where our faith either is is verified or it completely falls apart. Go in your Bible to 1 Corinthians 15. If you don't believe me when I say that, will you at least believe the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number three? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number three, the Apostle Paul says, For I deliver to you as of first importance, first importance. What I also receive that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. And he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. That's a lot of people, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last to all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Drop down to verse number 12. In verse 12, Paul says, Now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Notice how some of those in Corinth, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in the bodily resurrection. And Paul says, well, if you take that logic all the way to the end, Well, if you don't believe in the resurrection, then you also don't believe that Christ has been raised. And there are consequences if you don't believe Christ has been raised. Verse number 13, but if there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith is also vain. Moreover, we're even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are all men most to be pitied. Notice the awful and just horrific consequences for our lives if Jesus is not raised from the dead. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, if he calls those angels and he doesn't go to the cross, and he's not raised from the dead, then according to the Apostle Paul, the religion of Christianity is exposed to be a false religion, and the preaching of the gospel is vain. What I'm doing right now is vain. In fact, not only is the preaching of the gospel vain, vain, but according to Paul, your faith, my faith, is also vain. Our faith is vain. And the testimony of the apostles is vain. And those that we know and love who've gone before us and they've died in the Lord, Paul says they have perished. Paul says all of those wonderful people that we know, they are lost right now. They are worse off dead than we are alive. We're not in the best position alive because according to Paul in these verses. He says that if Christ is not raised from the dead, then we're still lost in our sins. We're still lost in the consequences of our sins. And he also says we're the most pathetic people in the world. He says that we are of all all men most to be pitied. Why are we most to be pitied? Well, because if Jesus is not raised from the dead, then that would mean that we're following a lie. That would mean that we have pledged our lives to a deceiver. We've pledged our lives, our lives to a liar. We've dedicated ourselves to following some, somebody who said he was going to be raised from the dead over and over and over again. But he was not. Those are all the terrible consequences for us. If Jesus calls those angels, if he calls those angels, He's not going to die on the cross. And he's not going to be raised from the dead. And not only will these things have not have taken place, but if he calls those angels, there's not going to be a Pentecost. There's not going to be a Pentecost. Don't misunderstand what I mean when I say that. When I say there wouldn't have been a Pentecost, I don't mean that the day of Pentecost would not have come for the Jews. I don't mean that after the death of Jesus that we read about in the Bible, the day of Pentecost would not have come 50 days after the Passover. Oh, yes, the day of Pentecost would have come 50 days after the Passover. It would have come for the Jews just like it had been coming for the Jews for hundreds and hundreds of years up to this point. When I say there would have been no Pentecost, I'm not talking about the day of Pentecost. Instead, I'm talking about the great events that took place on this day that we can read about in Acts chapter 2. Well, you go in your Bible to Acts chapter 2, look at Acts chapter 2. Remember in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 2, after Jesus ascended to heaven to sit at the right hand of God, the Bible says the apostles went to Jerusalem. They went to Jerusalem. The year is 33 A.D., The day is Pentecost, an important feast day for the Jews. There may have been up to a million Jews in Jerusalem on this day. And the Holy Spirit's power, his miraculous power came upon the apostles. The Holy Spirit's power came on the apostles and they started miraculously speaking in tongues. They started miraculously speaking in foreign languages that they had never formally learned. And this was a sign to the Jews on this occasion that salvation was available to them. Salvation was available to them because of the redemptive work of Jesus. In fact, after the Holy Spirit's power comes on the apostles and they start speaking in tongues, the apostle Peter then takes the initiative to boldly proclaim the gospel of Christ. This is the same Peter who had denied Jesus three times a few days earlier. Now, Peter has the courage to tell all these Jews exactly who Jesus is. He tells them that Jesus is the Lord and he's the Christ. And he proved these things to be true by performing miracles in their midst and by being raised from the dead. He says Jesus is the prophesied Messiah. And he proved that to be true through the resurrection. But unfortunately, you're the ones that killed him. You killed Jesus. You killed the Holy One of God. That's what Peter told these people on this occasion. And after Peter preached that to them, verse 37 says that the people who heard that, they were pricked. They were pierced in their hearts. In fact, they were so pricked and pierced in their hearts that they asked Peter and the rest of the apostles the most important question that any person could ever ask, and that is, what must we do? What must we do to be saved? What must we do to get our lives right with God? What must we do to receive forgiveness for rejecting the Messiah? In verse number 38, Peter gave them hope and he told them, this is what you do. You need to repent of your sins. You need to turn away from sin and you need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. In verse number 41 of that chapter, the scripture says that 3,000 of the people in the audience, they did that. They repented of their sins and they were baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. And then in verse 47 of that chapter, it says that once those people did that, the Lord's church came into existence and the Lord continued to add to the church every day. Those who were being saved, those who were obeying the glorious gospel. Now, those are all the wonderful things, all the wonderful things. That took place on the day of Pentecost, according to Acts chapter two. But let me tell you something. If Jesus had made the call. If Jesus had called more than 12 legions of angels, none of those things you read about in that chapter would have happened. If Jesus had made the call, he wouldn't have died on the cross and he wouldn't have been raised from the dead. And as a result of that, Peter would not have had a gospel to preach. Peter would not have had a message of good news to proclaim to those who had rejected Jesus. Peter would not have been able to confidently tell the people who Jesus is. And as a result of not being able to do that, they wouldn't have been able to develop faith. They wouldn't have been able to develop faith in Jesus as the Messiah. And as a result of that, they would not have been able to repent. And as a result of that, they wouldn't have been able to get baptized. They wouldn't have been able to do what is necessary to come into contact with the blood of Jesus because his blood would have been shed in the first place. These people would not have been able to be immersed for forgiveness of sins if Jesus called those angels. And as a result of that, guess what? You got no church now. There's no church. The Bible says that after these 3,000 people, repenting and were baptized, the Lord was adding to their number. Some of your translations say the church. That's what they were added to day by day. Those who were being saved. If Jesus calls those angels, this verse is not there. There's no Acts 2 47. There's no church. There's no spiritual family. There's no brothers and sisters in Christ this morning. There's no universal body of saved people. This doesn't happen if Jesus calls those angels. If Jesus calls those angels, he doesn't die. He's not raised. There's no church on the day of Pentecost. And then fourthly, the scriptures would not have been fulfilled. Jesus makes a reference to this point himself in Matthew 26. Go back to Matthew 26, please. In Matthew 26 and verse 53 again, verse 53, Jesus, and after telling Peter to put his sword away, he says, or do you think, do you think, this is a rhetorical question, the answer is obvious. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Do you not know the power and the authority I have, Peter? Look at verse 54. How then, if I do that, how then will the scripture be fulfilled? Which say it must happen this way. Notice how Jesus says that if he makes that call, if he does what he could have done, the scriptures would not have been fulfilled. When Jesus mentions the scriptures here, we need to understand he's talking about the Old Testament scriptures. He's talking about Genesis through Malachi. He's talking about the numerous scriptures in the Old Testament that foretell the work and the mission of the Messiah. He's talking about the scriptures that predict how the Messiah will be led as a sheep to the slaughter. And how he would die among sinners and be buried in the tomb of a rich man and bear the sins of many. He's talking about the scriptures that predict how the Messiah we mocked and scourged and how people would cast lots for his garments and even shout insults at him while he he died on the cross. He's talking about scriptures that predict how the Messiah would die on the cross. But his father would not allow his soul to be abandoned in Hades. His father would not allow his soul to be abandoned in Sheol, but instead he would raise him from the dead. He would bring him out of the tomb. He would give him power over the grave and eventually exalt him to his right hand. There are scriptures throughout the Old Testament, my dear friends, that make these predictions hundreds and hundreds of years in advance. The Old Testament is loaded with scriptures that predict the work, and the life and the death, burial and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. But if he makes that call. If he calls those angels, none of those things are able to come to pass. None of those things were able to be fulfilled. All of those prophecies would have been rendered false and God would have been made out to be a liar. If Jesus calls those angels. The scriptures would not have been fulfilled. And I guess we can sum all this up by saying that if Jesus had called those angels, there would have been no hope. There would have been no hope of eternal life. There would have been no hope of going to heaven to be with God forever. You know, one of the main things that motivated us to get up this morning, I suspect, is our hope. It's our hope, right? Right? We got motivated to get up, get dressed, get in our cars, and come here to this place for a few hours because of hope. Hope of heaven. Hope of being able to be with God once this life is over. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, please. I want to show you one verse in 1 Corinthians 13. The last verse of 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 13 and in verse number 13, after Paul talks about what was going to remain in the church after the period of miraculous spiritual gifts has ceased. Once the full Bible was revealed, once the complete revelation of God was given, and we have that today, Paul says the miraculous gifts were going to cease and there would be three things that remained in the church. Verse 13, but now, now in the church, now that the miraculous spiritual gifts have ceased and we have the full revelation of God, That is the perfect that's mentioned in the chapter. The perfect is not talking about Jesus, even though he's perfect. That's not what the perfect is in that context. The perfect of of, of verse number 10 is talking about perfect revelation, the complete revelation of God. So now that we have that faith, hope, love, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Notice the three things that we have in the church today. The three things that make us a family, the three things that make us one, the three things that bind us together as brothers and sisters in Christ. The three things that bind us together are faith, hope, and love. We have a common faith in the gospel. We have a common faith in God and a common faith in Jesus. And we got a common hope of going to heaven and we got a common love for each other and for God and our Savior Jesus. Paul says we have faith and we have hope and we have love. And speaking of the hope part, let me just say this about hope. Brothers and sisters, if Jesus called those angels, we don't have hope. We don't have hope. We don't have hope of a return of Jesus. We don't have hope of being able to be raised from the dead in glory when he comes back. We don't have the hope of being able to be reunited with all of those who've gone before us and died in the Lord. We don't have the hope of being able to be with God and in fellowship with God in heaven forever. These are the consequences if Jesus makes the call. These are the consequences of Jesus' calls, more than 12 legions of angels. And so here's the take home this morning. Here's the take home. If you plan on being with your family over the next few days to celebrate the national holiday of Thanksgiving, in addition to being thankful for your family, in addition to being thankful for your physical blessings and to still be alive in what has been a very tumultuous year. In addition to being thankful for those things, most of all, be thankful for Jesus. Most of all, be thankful that he didn't make the call. Be thankful that he loved you so much. And he was so devoted to doing the will of his father that he willingly went to the cross experienced shame, and he suffered and died. He died for you. He died for me. Out of all the things we have to be thankful for, around this time of the year and every day of our lives, it is Jesus Christ. It is the death of Jesus Christ. The question is, have you received the benefits of his death? Jesus then called the angels. He could have. He didn't. He went to the cross. He died on the cross for the sins of the world, but have you received the benefits of his death? Have you received the benefits of his sacrifice? Have you believed in him as the Christ and the Lord? Have you made that decision to turn away from sin? And have you been baptized like the people in Acts 2 were baptized, so you can receive forgiveness of sin? If you have not done that, but you're ready to do that, you're ready to respond and receive the benefits of the death of Jesus, we will be more than happy to help you do that. We'll be more than happy to help anyone here this morning respond to the gospel, and if that is your desire, don't hesitate. Come to the front right now. Let's stand. Let's sing.